0: verses 13 through 15. I will be honest with you on this. Uh, Since Pastor Gary's kind of set a precedent at being open, this is a message that God worked me over personally with. Um, And it's been something that I've been getting for the past several months. And, uh, you know, I I just been waiting for the time where God would say, speak it. But I want to talk to you from Joshua chapter 5. And I want to read verses, start reading in verse number one. And it came to pass When all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the other side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we passed over, that their heart melted, neither was there any more spirit in them because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the four skins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them, they had not Circumcised. Same chapter, uh, same day, as a matter of fact. Um, Verse 13 says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And said unto him, What says my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon there standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight on this title, Take Off Your Wilderness Shoes. I'm thankful, first of all. Let me just lay this some groundwork for just a few minutes here tonight. I'm very thankful for God's greatest gift to mankind. And that is not the car you drive or the house you live in or the beautiful spouse that you have sitting by you or the beautiful spouse that you hope one day will sit by you. Or your wonderful, awesome, perfect kids, because we all know all of our kids are just perfect little angels. That is not God's greatest gift to you, although those are good gifts. But the greatest gift God ever gave to mankind is the ability to repent. And when you think about it, that's really an amazing gift. Because no matter where you're at, it's like a GPS, it just recalculates you. And no matter how far down the road you go, your GPS will tell you you're going the wrong way until you turn around. And that's kind of what the grace of God is like. God just keeps talking to us and keeps speaking to us until we follow his will and his plan. And I'm grateful for that. But sometimes it's from known sins that we know we messed up. You know, if if you go out and you slap somebody in the head, you know you need to repent over that. If you commit adultery, one of the, the obvious sins, that's something that clearly needs to be repented and made right. But there are also unknown sins. And there are things that develop in us over a long period of time that we may not even realize are there. As David said in Psalms 19 and 12, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now, when David said secret things, it was not things done in secret, but things he was unaware of. Attitudes and spirits that had developed in him over time. Sometimes it's like cleaning out your shoe closet. Now, I have a shoe closet. It's more like a shoe pile. When I get home, you know, I, now I'm organized because I have to be. That's uh, another story altogether, which I'll spare you the details of. But I, I, finally, got, or I finally got my shoes, organ, my, my shoe so-called closet organized. I guess it was about two, three weeks ago. I didn't have any, any more place to put the gear that I was buying for a guitar, much to my wife's chagrin. So I had to put it somewhere, and so I decided to clean out my shoes. And you know what I discovered? I found an old pair of shoes there I'd paid a lot of money for that I had even forgotten I had. <laughs> and they were way at the bottom, and they were an expensive pair of shoes, and they were a good pair of shoes. And I'm thankful for them because they're actually really warm, and they got thick soles, and time's coming up in a few months. But I was like, ah, I didn't even know I had those. I, you know, I don't know. I thought they fell into the vortex somewhere. We have a vortex in our house. And when things fall on the ground, that's where lost socks go and guitar picks. It goes into the vortex. Our dog knows the secret entrance to the portal of the vortex. He finds it. He knows the key. But sometimes it, it really is like cleaning out your shoe closet when you... When you begin to take inventory of things in your life that you don't want there and you're honest with yourself, okay, and you ask God to show you things, it's like cleaning out a shoe closet. Because there are things that develop there over time that you're not aware of. What's interesting about our text is that these events occur right before Joshua and Israel would fight the battle of Jericho. For 40 long years, they had wondered. And all the men of war, the Bible says, who came out of Egypt were, were basically dead. And of course, that's accepting for Joshua and Caleb. They must have thought, Lord, we're finally ready to go into Canaan. But God was saying, no, you're not, because you got to get rid of some things first. You got some things that you have to clean out. Here they are at the entrance. They had wandered for 40 years, and they must have thought, what more can we possibly do? And God said, well, you have to circumcise yourselves before you go into Canaan. Now, not here to teach about you know, Genesis and the covenant of circumcision, but circumcision was an ancient covenant that God established with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. He said, if you don't circumcise your children, they will be cut off from their people. And so the Jews believed that very strongly. And so before they were able to take a single marching order from God, they had to circumcise themselves. Because for 40 years they were wondering, but now God was calling them to start marching and stop wondering. They needed to be cleansed from that wilderness season. Why? Because they still had sand in their sandals and the wilderness in their hearts. And oh how old painful seasons Tend to cling to us. In the wilderness. It was hot. Now we give the Israelites a lot of flack. Because of their constant complaining. But I got to tell you. I probably would have been there complaining too. In the wilderness it was hot. They constantly ran out of places to get fresh water. It was a desert after all. Scripture says they wore the same outfit. And the same shoes for 40 years. They couldn't go to. uh, The king's boutique. And buy a nice little pretty dress and have it delivered the next Sunday. They couldn't go onto Amazon and, and, and order a nice pair of shoes to stuff in the bottom of their closet and forget that they have. They couldn't do any of that. This was the desert. Matter of fact, furthermore, they ate the same meal for 40 years. They ate something called what is it in the Hebrew. Man is what we call it, but in the Hebrew it means what is it. They didn't even know what it was. What is it? It just comes from heaven, it appears. The Bible says it tastes like coriander seed, which probably would have been pretty tasteless. Like, like little wafers. Uh, they were hungry at times, but they never starved. But God did leave them hungry. Furthermore, they faced the death of many dreams. They thought they would quickly go into Canaan once out, out of Egypt just a few years would go by and they would be marching right into Canaan and they would be taking lands left and right, but that was far from the plan of God. In fact, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, loved ones, aunts, uncles, friends who had come out of Egypt, died and was forever gone to that hot desert sand. They were often attacked by their enemies. They waxed hot in the daytime and cold in the nighttime. They constantly wondered, never staying in the same place for very, too, for very much longer, very long never feeling anywhere at home, always sleeping in a tent. And the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 8, And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know. What God was saying was, I know I fed you with manna, but it left you with a hunger feeling. It's kind of like when you're at somebody's house and you're really hungry, but you don't want to look like a pig. And so you eat a little bit. And, and you leave a little bit hungry. And that's, you know, my, my doctor told me skinny people go to bed hungry. And that's, he said that's good weight loss advice. It's probably true. Uh, but but that's, that's what they had. I guarantee you there was not many overweight people in the camp of Israel. Because for 40 years, all they had to eat was one thing. And it was just enough to keep them alive. And keep them sustained. The wilderness journey was a time of humbling and hungering. They had just barely enough, but never a full belly. For 40 years, they forgot what it was like to have a full belly full of food and to feel a fully satisfied after a meal. Their stomachs probably growled, and they got used to it. They got thirsty, and God provided water, but sometimes it was two to three days later. Now, you try walking around in a desert sand, hot desert sun for three days without water. And they got used to waiting on God and sometimes not seeing him show up as quickly as they wanted to. In fact, had they known before they came out of Egypt, all that they had to endure, they would not have come out of Egypt. They would have stayed there. In short, the wilderness was a time of disappointment. And I ask you tonight, if you knew from the time of your first Christian journey all of the things that you would have to have endured up until now, would you have still walked the same way? And if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, well, yes, we would still be saved, but we would choose to do things differently. And we would, of course. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. But you can't live your life like that. You can't live your life in hindsight. And you can't live your life in reverse. What happened is in the past, and it's forever part of your story. Good, bad, and everything else in between. But the wilderness, make no mistake, was a time of disappointment. But learn this, that before, that after disappointment comes reappointment. But before God could reappoint them into a new season, they had to cleanse themselves from that old season. Israel had to get circumcised, and Joshua had to take off his shoes. And let me tell you, we cannot walk in all that God has for us so long as we still have the remnants of an old painful season that is clinging to us. Because it's not the season itself. It's the mindsets and attitudes that we picked up during that old season. We often get a survivalist mindset in the wilderness. It's kind of like uh, a day-to-day mindset of just getting by. And old seasons tend to cling to us a lot more than we ever realize that they do. we say, well, we are today because of all that we've gone through. And that will be a true statement. But along with everything that we are is good and bad. And there are good things that we picked up along the way, but there's some bad things that clung to us during that old season as well, that God, if you're going to walk into a new season, you have to shed those things first. There's people that say, well, I don't trust people because I've been wounded. Well, you're carrying that old season with you. You might say, well, I've got an issue with leadership because of someone who abused or mistreated me. I have walls built around me because I can't trust people anymore, and this is my safe place, so I hide behind these walls. That's the remnants of an old season that still clings to you, and these are wilderness attitudes. But tonight we need to make a trip to Gilgal to get rid of some things. Now, Gilgal is found in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9, where it says the Lord said to this is the same chapter as our text, the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of that place is called Gilgal unto this day. So this was after they were circumcised. After they had circumcised themselves the second time, God said, this place is called Gilgal. So the first place that they landed at once, they crossed over Jordan, was this place called Gilgal. Now, it was not rightly named anything at all, as far as we know, until after they had circumcised themselves and after Joshua took off his wilderness shoes. Now, Gilgal means a rolling away. It was here that the reproach of their slavery in Egypt was finally and completely rolled away. In other words, from here on out, they were not to be known as a people of slavery, but a people of warriors. And the next place they went to was Jericho, where the walls would come down by their shout of worship. You know, the first time that they came to Canaan, You know, they called themselves grasshoppers. They said the people are too big and we're too small and we're not filled with very much faith and we don't have a whole lot and and we're just grasshoppers. The second time that they came to Canaan, they came ready to fight. And let me tell you that there is a new season that is waiting to dawn on some of you tonight. Whether you realize it or not, your feet are already standing in that new season, but you must get rid of that wilderness experience and mindset and start declaring, a new season is upon me, and I'm not going to walk in that anymore because God is doing a new thing now. He said in Isaiah, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The sand that clung to you in the desert won't cling to you where God is taking you next. The shoes you wore in the desert won't be needed in Canaan. So we got to take off our wilderness sandals and put on our mountain climbing shoes. Because, uh, you know, we have to take off our Egyptian garments and put on our war clothes And get ready to fight. Because God is getting ready to propel us into the next level of spiritual warfare. And we have to be ready when it gets here. Furthermore, Israel did not walk perfectly in the wilderness. You may have heard. And they needed to cleanse themselves from doubt, fear, and even idolatry. Here are just a few of their mistakes that I found in studying this out. First, the people complained to Moses. This was while before they even left Egypt. They complained to Moses that because of him and his talk of a promised land, Pharaoh made things worse for them. The people complained and said to Moses, let us alone in Exodus 14. In Exodus 15, they complained about bitter water. In Exodus 16, they complained about being hungry. In Exodus 17, they complained about being thirsty. Just a few chapters later, in chapter 19, they forsook God and worshipped the golden calf while Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. Just a few uh, chapters later, the mixed multitude of the people complained about food in Numbers 11. And the Lord burnt up the outskirts of the camp and sent a plague that killed a whole bunch of them. Oh, by the way, also that day Moses asked God if he could just go ahead and die. (laughs) Just kill me now, Lord. Now you talk about a bad day. I hope you've never had a day that bad. Lord, just kill me now. Just take me while I'm ready. Miriam and Aaron complained about Moses' leadership. Miriam got struck with leprosy. The people complained about how difficult it was to look and and to conquer uh, uh, the giants in the land. So they refused to enter the promised land. Uh, Furthermore, they complained again and wanted to kill Moses. They tried to uh, select another leader instead. And the Lord sought to destroy the people with pestilence and had Moses not stood in the way. God would have done just that. Korah and his gang tried to overthrow Moses' leadership and the earth opened up and swallowed them up. The people complained again and they accused Moses of killing God's people. The people contended with Moses again because of no water, Moses got angry. God said strike God actually said smite or he said speak to the rock. Moses struck it and because of that Moses himself did not get to enter the promised land. The people complained against God and Moses And God sent fiery serpents to bite them, and that was the last mistake that you see them make. So no, they didn't exactly walk perfectly in the wilderness. And many times we don't exactly walk perfectly either. We get angry with God for allowing things to happen. And we tell God how good we are and that we think to ourselves how unjust God must be to allow us to go through all of those things. And we often end up getting angry at God. And often we don't repent over that. We just go along a merry way never realizing that because we never repented and made that attitude right and reversed it. Instead there has been a seed of unbelief that has been planted deep inside of us that has been growing growing, and it impacts our faith, and it impacts how impactive we are in the kingdom of God, because those are seeds the enemy plants during difficult seasons, and unless there's a constant washing from that, and and a constant cleansing with prayer and the word of God, then those things begin to grow inside of us, until we get to the point like David did where we have to pray, Lord, cleanse me from secret faults. That is from everything that's in me that I I don't even know about. Things that have been growing in me that I don't know about. Attitudes and thought processes that I don't even know about. Because if left unchecked, it will hinder you from accomplishing all that God has for you to accomplish in this season. From Exodus 13 and verse 20, the Bible says, And they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them. The way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. There's something about difficult seasons that we often forget, because when we look back on the most troublesome times in our life, we 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 think of the pain that we had to endure or the wrong that was done to us. Just as Israel would have looked back. And they likely would have remembered all the, the heat and, 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 and all the people that they had to bury. In the Millions of people got buried in the wilderness. About 3 to 5 million people came out of Egypt. And most of them would have died in the desert sand after those first two years. And then God said, 38 more years, you're going to wander around until everybody from like 20 years and upwards was, was dead. So for basically 19 years and under They would have survived it, but they would have had to endure it, and they would have remembered all that. But there was was something here that they would have missed, and that was Israel had the nearness of God in the wilderness in the form of a fire by day, fire by night, and a cloud by day. But understand that once they crossed over into Canaan, the tabernacle of witness, that is where the Ark of the Covenant and the most holy place was, rested in a place called Shiloh, and there it stayed. Now, when they were encamped in the wilderness, it was, it was the Ark of the Covenant and, and the Tabernacle of Witness in the center of the camp. And then there were the 12 tribes that were surrounding it, and it literally formed a cross. Whenever, whenever, if you looked at it from an aerial perspective, it would have formed like a cross. And, of course, we, we see the great you know, resemblance in that, how it simplifies the Lord and the power of the cross in our life. But, but, uh, but they would have had... They would have had that nearness of God. And so at any time of the day or night, they could have gotten out of their tents at 3 o'clock in the morning, unzipped their tents, looked out, and they would have saw the pillar of cloud that was resting above the tabernacle. By day, when it was hot, all they had to do was look up. And they saw that same cloud that followed them for 40 long years. They had a nearness of God. While the wilderness was a place of being close, they could see his glory resting at all times on top of the camp camp. They had to travel to Shiloh to experience the glory once they crossed over into Canaan. They had to go a little bit farther. Because at first, when they came into Canaan, they were all together. But then God said, okay, now we're going to split up. We're going to separate the land. You're going to go over here. Benjamin's going to go over here. Uh, Judah's going to go over here. Uh, Manasseh and Ephraim are going to go over here. And they all split up. But they were supposed to come back in Shiloh to worship and make their sacrifices. And once they came back to Shiloh, that would have been where they would have experienced the glory cloud. And they would have been reminded of the God of Israel. So, you know, God was always around them and near them, but there was a special presence of God that was with them in the wilderness. But they were often so caught up in their complaints against God that they lost the beauty of his divine presence in the wilderness. And we often look back and despise our wilderness journey and the painful past that we had to walk, the difficulty and the pain of it all. But what we casually miss is the incredible closeness of God that we felt during those painful seasons. There are some very painful seasons in my life that I would not want to go back and do again, but I would tell you what I would, what I do miss about them. And that is, you know, getting up in the morning and, and just you know you know feeling the, the intense pain of that season. And, you know, getting in my car and the presence of God just overwhelming me in my car. And having to pull into the parking spot uh, of where I work. And, you know, I can't go in yet because I'm a mess. I'm speaking in tongues and I'm crying and the Holy Ghost is there filling the car. And I just feel the presence of God in such a unique and a strong way. Even the Bible says that he is close to them that are of a broken heart. Do you realize that God is closer to you when you are in the most painful seasons than when you are not in there? Now, I know he's with us at all times. He's always, he's always available. But there's a special closeness that's there. When you're walking through seasons that are painful and when you need him the most, he is going to be there to comfort you. But we missed the intimacy of God during those seasons because we're so busy despising them and resenting them. It's during times of difficulty that God is closest to us. And instead of despising the painful seasons that we walked through, why not look back at them as the breaking process we had to endure before God can use us in the future? Why would we not embrace them and look at them like those were things that I had to walk through, those were things that I had to endure to get me to the point where, because we know God never uses anything until he breaks it. Remember when Jesus, you know, took the bread from, from that little boy, just had a few loaves and fishes, and what did he do with it? He broke it, and then he distributed it, but it was only when it's broken first. Only things that are broken can be, ever be used by God. And so if you are here in this place, and you say, well, I've been broken a lot, well, join the We're Broken Club, because just about everybody in here has been broken, guarantee it. If you're alive and breathing, you've had some brokenness into your life. So instead of despising those seasons, why not just thank God, Lord, you know, uh, you know, there's many things that I can't explain, but Lord, I'm thankful that you were there with me, that you walked me through it all, that there was an intimacy that I achieved during those seasons with you that I would not have known about had I not gone through that. Now let's talk about Elijah. He's one of my favorite Bible characters. He's the only guy that can preach the house down on Sunday morning and then we have to be picked up off the floor with a pancake spatula the next day. <laughs> you gotta love a guy like that. Elijah, first Kings eighteen, calls down fire from heaven and single-handedly slew four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and brought about a tremendous revival in Israel that day. And then this happens from first Kings nineteen and verse two. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do so to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the one of them by tomorrow about this time. So he's saying, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. And when he saw that, fresh off of a fiery revival, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for the Lord that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, I know that they killed and persecuted my father's too. I'm no better than them. So this is the end of my life. So just, just go ahead and kill me now, Lord. I'm, Lord, I'm ready to go. Just like Moses, just, <laughs> just kill me now. But God comes to him and tells him to eat because the journey is going to be long. God's getting ready to tell Moses to go do something. And so, you know, he argues with God a little bit, but eventually he does eat and goes on the strength of that food for 40 days to Mount Horeb, what the Bible calls the mountain of God. And what does this mighty, powerful prophet do there? Fasts. He seeks the face of God until the Lord answers. Oh, no. He does not seek God there. He hides in a cave despite the fact that it was God that told him to go there to begin with. He never stopped to think, God, why are we here? Why have you sent me here? He just hid in the cave. God must have sent me here to hide me from Jezebel. That was his thinking, but God had so many more, so much, uh, something bigger for him. And God says to him again in the cave, at some point, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God knew what Elijah was doing there. That question was for Elijah. Elijah. 1 Kings 19 and verse 10 says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What he's saying is, Lord, there's all these prophets and there's nobody left. Does he not remember what just happened about 41 days ago? 450 prophets that had to be, not probably not all of them, it had to be a bunch of them, were, were slain with the sword, he called down fire from heaven, and, and, and all Israel knew that that, who the one true God was. So a great revival happened, and now Elijah's like completely, you know, his mind is twisted by this disappointment and discouragement. So he's not exactly being truthful. But God, God tells him to go stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and the Lord passes by, and a strong tornado rent the mountain in two, and God was not in that. Then an earthquake, and then a fire, and God wasn't in any of them, and then a still small voice. Now, we don't know what the still small voice said, but there was some kind of voice that spoke to Elijah. But even after God speaks, Elijah goes back to his little cave again, but this time he stands in the entrance of the cave, as if I'm, I'm partially out of it, but I'm not completely out of it yet. And God says again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, watch what happens. First Kings 19 and 14, and he said... Again, he repeats the same story. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, everybody say Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, mehola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escaped with the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. Him that escaped from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Now, first of all, it was Jezebel that put Elijah in that cave to begin with. Elijah's ministry was powerful and anointed up until this time. And when he comes to this place and he's faced with this Jezebel spirit that he's never had to face before in his life, he has no idea what to do with it. And so instead of responding how he's responded to everything else, just praying and seeking God and trusting the Lord, he gets caught up in this wave and spirit of discouragement and disappointment. Things didn't work out the way I thought they would, so I'm going to hide in this cave, and here I'm going to stay. It wasn't Elijah who slew Jezebel. You know who it was? It was Jehu. Right after Elijah makes his second excuse of why he's discouraged. I'm the only one left. You, you know, there's nobody left. You, you might as well kill later on, God says, by the way, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. I've reserved to myself 7,000 prophets. You're not the only one, Elijah. That spirit of Jezebel is making you think that you're the only one. When Jezebel heard that Jehu was coming, she painted her eyes. She put on her racy attire and batted her eyes and tried to seduce him. But Jehu looked up and he said, who's on the Lord's side? And two little eunuchs looked out the window and he said, throw her down, boys, and just like that, that spirit of Jezebel was broken off of those eunuchs. And the power of God came on them and they threw her down. And just like Elijah had prophesied, the dogs licked up her bones there. But it wasn't Elijah who did it. It was, it was Jehu. It was a battle that Elijah could have perhaps done. But he could not go into that season because he was so entrenched in his past disappointments that he could not see the bigger picture. He could not, for whatever reason, shake himself loose from that past season of disappointment. That kept hammering at his spirit over and over and over again. It kept reminding him of his failures. This is how you failed, and this is what could have happened, and this is what should have happened, or or this is the way it was supposed to be, and you were wronged, and, and, and they were wronged, and then it seems like they got away with it, and now look at where you're at. You're hiding in a cave and they're out there, and you're the only one, and God's just going to kill you now. All of these thoughts were racing around in his mind, and he could not shake himself from that, so God says, okay, your ministry's over because you can't face what I need you to face. So I'm going to have you anoint somebody else, not only to, to, to defeat the spirit that's on you, but I'm going to anoint somebody else to complete the ministry that you should have completed. Elisha is going to be prophet in your room. And God told him that Elijah was going to be prophet in his stead. In other words, the double portion that Elisha got might have actually came on Elijah had he tarried long enough and waited on the Lord. And shook himself from those past seasons. Now, I I will tell you this. I know, as sure as I'm standing here, 90% of people's problems are the results of their perspective of their past experiences. And I'm speaking for myself. I'm not pointing any fingers. I mean, this is this is what we face. This is who we are. We come to this same place where we are hiding in a cave, and God is saying, "You know what? I've got so much more great things. But if you don't come out of that cave, then somebody else is going to do the job that I'm spo- that you were supposed to be prepare- pre- prepping to do." Oh, Elijah was a great prophet. Yes, he was. He was a mighty prophet indeed. But his ministry was unfulfilled from this point forward. Elijah did eight miracles, Elisha did 16, as far as recorded miracles in scripture. So he literally got a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Elisha simply carried on the ministry, you know, because Elisha didn't have his own mantle, he had the mantle of the prophet that preceded him. That never happened in any other place in scripture, as far as I could tell, where another prophet passes on his mantle to another one. What, 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 what God was saying was that I'm going to take the mantle or the ministry of you and give it to somebody else because you're caught up in this cave and you can't get out of it. And God is saying, You gotta come out of that cave. You gotta get rid of that wilderness experience. You gotta let go. You gotta forgive. You've gotta shake off your wilderness. You gotta get the sandals out of your out of your shoes and you gotta take off your Egyptian clothes and you gotta put on your war clothes and your marching garments because there's a new season that's gonna come on you. And you gotta be ready for it. And you can't be hiding in a cave when it comes. God has great things in store for you. Mountains to climb, devils to cast out, mighty deeds to do, but you have to cleanse yourself from that past season and walk in new victory. Because disappointment is just fear, but dressed up a little bit different. And I'm done. Sister Brittany can come to the piano. First Timothy 1 and 7 says this, For God, as we stand, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. I know I'm going to very quickly tell you this story. Whenever, whenever I I pastored years ago, there was a particular situation where I was I was dealing. I didn't, actually I didn't know what I was dealing with, but I went into this home of this particular couple that I was really trying to help, and uh, and and I I was I was really genuinely trying to help them, and, but it 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 turned out to be like three hours of them criticizing me. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> Especially when you got to take it with kindness, because you're the pastor. And, and, and I did. I took it with much kindness, but it wounded me to the heart. And, and the thing that they were, she was saying was, everybody feels like this. Now, this is what a Jezebel spirit does. And I know this because I have faced this and because the story I'm telling you right now. Jezebel makes you feel like everybody feels this way. And, and really, that's what Elijah was facing, was this Jezebel satanic spirit. You know, is it was like he felt like I'm the only one. He wasn't. God had so much more. But that's how Jezebel kind of gets you back up into your corner. And so the next morning, um, you know, I had a mentor in my life that, that I was able to counsel with. I had no idea what I was battling. We were going to resign on Sunday because of it. And I'm just being honest. And and uh, it was such such an incredible spiritual attack. And And Sunday morning, I was praying. And just like that, the Holy Ghost said, you're fighting a Jezebel spirit. Now, the thing about spiritual warfare is, you know, whenever God identifies what spirit you're fighting, the battle's over, just like that. All you have to do is say, okay, well, that's, I mean, it literally happened that quickly. I said, okay, in the name of Jesus, I cast that out. And just like that, it was broken. I mean, it felt like shackles came off my mind. Joy returned back to me. My strength returned back to me. We, we went Sunday morning and preached a fiery message. We had a few people get the Holy Ghost. I mean, it was, it was amazing what, what God did. But that was a Jezebel spirit. But this is what the Lord showed me in that process. Is when we are caught up in fear, what fear does is it shackles your spiritual gifts and keeps them from working. Because as long as... As you are walking in a spirit of fear, your gift will not work by default because fear shackles your faith. The gifts work how? By love, but they work by faith too. I mean, they operate by love. I have to have the love of God in my heart as I'm operating them. I have to love somebody or the gift's going to go awry, but but all of the gifts operate by faith. Now, we're talking about the nine spiritual gifts specifically, okay? From First Corinthians chapters 12 and 14 12, 13, 14. So all those gifts so this is what Satan tries to do is he tries to attack us with these satanic spirits and they shackle our faith and they back us up into a corner and before you know it our gifts are not operating we're not doing Bible studies anymore we don't have victory in our spirit anymore we don't have joy anymore our prayers don't feel like they're being answered and the whole reason why is because we got this junk from the wilderness experience clinging to us and God says you know what you, you, you have to take off your, your sandals Moses, or you know, Moses had to do that in Exodus 33, because, sorry, in in Exodus chapter five, because he was in the presence of God when he came to that burning bush experience but 40 years later Joshua had to do the same thing because he too had that same wilderness sand in his sandals and he had to take it off and he had to wash off his feet and change his clothes and change his raiment and he had to tell Israel to circumcise themselves because we're not in Egypt anymore, we're not in the wilderness anymore, we're going into Canaan and we're going to do great things and God God's got enemies there and he needs us to be strong, he needs us to be warriors so we got to take off our wilderness shoes, and we got to stand on the promises of God. And you know what? And I'll be honest with you. There was a place I came to that I literally had to repent of attitudes that were still clinging to me from old past seasons. I don't know if I've got everything out. I hope so. If I haven't, the Lord surely will let me know. But, but I'm trying. And I also know that there's probably people here right now that have felt that same thing. That maybe there are some things that you need to just cleanse yourself from, attitudes mindsets. Maybe there's people you need to forgive. You don't even need to go to them and tell them. You just need to say, Lord, I forgive them. I let it go. They wronged me. I'm just going to let it all go. I laid at the foot of Calvary. I'm going to let it go. If, if it comes up in my mind again, every time it comes up, I'm just going to say, Lord, I let it go. I forgive them. I, I just release them in Jesus' name. And, you know, when you start doing that and when you start cleansing yourself, then then you realize that all of that disappointment only preceded the reappointment that God's getting ready to to do to you and for you lift your hands right now and just call on his name right now Jesus name Lord I pray for a specific direction right now God for somebody Lord that they would see God all the great things that you have for them God in Jesus name I want to just open up these altars. would you come forward and would you just find a place to talk to God for a few minutes here tonight before we leave lord help us to cleanse ourselves from old past seasons that still cling to us lord in jesus name god in the name of jesus lord